I like the idea that there is a school here for me to sit on. Uh, one of the things I've done in the last year is I broke my foot and it's healed. But uh, standing on it, you know, just standing during a worship service. By the way, who thought of that? Who had the idea that it would be a good idea for people to stand for 15 minutes? <laughs> um, you know, I, I guess it's okay when you're young, but for us uh, full conscious, it's increasingly difficult. Uh, to do that, but uh, especially since uh, my foot still has some pain in it, I, I really appreciate that there's a stool here for me to sit on. A uh, little bit about myself, uh, and also my wife is with me. Uh, we were in Oklahoma for 23 years. Uh, we pastored the Korean church there, and then we moved to Colby, Kansas, and I pastored the Korean church there for six years. I uh, had a, a young guy, though, that got called into ministry, and he was going through uh, training with math. And I just thought, it's time for you, Mr. Carlton, to get out of your way, his way, and uh, step aside and let him do his thing. And so uh, for a year, I uh, mentored him, and he was the senior pastor, and I was kind of there to mentor I was already teaching at college at that time, so I had uh, another gig I could go to. And after a year, I stepped aside, and he's just doing a wonderful job. And uh, we're so thankful for him. We didn't have to go through that painful search of finding a pastor and hopefully pick out a good one, you know? Uh, that could be very hard for a church. And uh, we got a good one. We uh, have known him and his wife and his family because they were part of the church for many years. And so that's worked out well. As for myself, uh, I do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. My main job is I am teaching at Colby Community College. Any of you uh, looking for a good community college should attend. Uh, I would highly recommend it. It is a good community college. And I teach the classes that uh, are only the classes kids take and lose their faith. And I kind of have the opposite effect. I encourage Christian kids, and I cause unbelievers, I think, a little discomfort. I teach ethics, I take, teach world religions, and I teach philosophy. Okay, I've been told, turn on your mic. Good idea. Uh, repeat, I teach ethics, I teach world religion, and I teach philosophy there at Colby Community College. And... Uh, I've been doing that now for, this is my sixth year I'm completing, and uh, that's kind of the plan right now. I do a little bit of sports announcing, and uh, I'm doing a few shifts on the local Christian radio station. And so staying involved in a little bit of a ministry that way and just uh, attending the church and enjoying it and uh, enjoying watching our new pastor uh, do his thing and uh, Profiting from his ministry. Uh, the, the title of the message, uh, Will the Rapture Happen on April 23rd? How many of you, of you have read the news articles that say that it's going to happen on the 23rd? Anyone besides me? Uh, you get one of these every once in a while, and it becomes news, and I think the national need, media makes it news so that they can make fun of us. And uh, they get it wrong anyway. Uh, they say the world will end on the 23rd because the rapture is supposed to occur. And obviously they, they know 
nothing about the subject, but then they can wait till the 23rd and they can say, well, nothing happened, and they can have a good laugh at the expense of us uh, that they would consider funny mentalist. Um, the problem is, I, I think the body of Christ right now is almost as ignorant as the media. Uh, the Brian Fellowship was built with prophetic teaching. Uh, Ivan Olson, who founded the fellowship, uh, that was his big thing, was Bible prophecy and preaching Bible prophecy. And the men who were the pastors of the First Berean Church, that was kind of their thing. But you know, throughout the history of the church, uh, we've had kind of a roller coaster when it comes to the, the subject of Bible prophecy. For about the first century and a half of the Christian era, everyone was accept, expecting Christ to come back. They were very excited about it. But as you get into uh, the last part of the second century, the beginning of the third century, uh, everyone was kind of thinking, well, it doesn't look like he's coming. And so they adapted their theology. A man by the name of Origen says, well, he's ruling from his heavenly throne, and he began his messianic rule at the ascension. And the kingdom is already here. And so everyone was excited about it. It was a good arrangement. Uh, Jesus is on his throne. We're here on earth. We're going to build the kingdom. And we, you know, if he wants to show up at some time, that's fine with us, but we really, we're doing fine without him. And the church envisioned uh, the kingdom of God as being a present reality and led into, uh, uh, really, Roman Catholicism. Uh, when Constantine came along and Christianity had the opportunity to get its hands on the levers of power, it fit right in with our theology. Oh boy, we're going to spread the kingdom. Well, that didn't work out very well. But that was the theology of the church clear through the Re Reformation. The Reformations didn't really question Roman Catholic theology uh, the idea was there will never be a kingdom on earth. Jesus began his messianic reign at the ascension, and the kingdom is being spiritually fulfilled through the church, uh, which was is his kingdom, although it's never called his kingdom. Theology said it was. So that's the way it was. And then you had a revival of premillennial theology at the last part of the 19th century, first part of the 20th century, the Brian Fellowship came into existence at that time in the 1930s. And that was a theology that was being preached clear up all oh, through the 70s. You uh, had the great, late great planet Earth by Hal Lindsey, and everyone was expecting Jesus to come back very soon. And, and uh, the signs were all there, and, and uh, then it didn't quite work out the way Hal Lindsey and others said it would. And so you had the same situation you had back in the days of origin. And so the church says, hmm, well, maybe the kingdom is already here, already not yet here. Maybe something like that. So Jesus is on his throne in the heaven. He took his throne at the ascension. We'll go back to the old Roman Catholic teaching. And the kingdom is here. And so we won't even worry about prophetic teaching. And we'll just get to work building and spreading the kingdom. Uh, if the king wants to show up at some time. That's fine, but we're doing fine without the king. Uh, we kind of like the mission as we've redefined it, and this is where we're at today. And so I've never heard so much talk about the kingdom and so little interest in the return of the king as I am seeing at this particular moment in evangelical history, uh, almost an indifference to it. Uh, and so 
we've moved into a period where we don't preach prophecy anymore. It's all about building the kingdom, spreading the kingdom, building the kingdom. Uh, and uh, the fact that the majority of the New Testament doesn't even use that language doesn't seem to bother anyone. Uh, we're having a good old time. And there's kind of an indifference to the prophetic scriptures again. But I think Christians are still interested in it, or at least a lot of them are, because this quack has a big following. And I go to YouTube, uh, and I, I go to these prophetic sites on there. Millions of people are following uh, teachers who are teaching absolute garbage when it comes to Bible prophecy, stuff like this. Setting dates, people having visions, supposedly. And as the scripture said in Paul's day, puffed up in their minds over these visions they've had. And, uh, you know, first it was, uh, uh, a few years ago, it was that uh, uh, Barack Obama was the Antichrist. And now it's Donald Trump is the Antichrist. And, uh, you know, it just, really some bizarre stuff there. And it wouldn't be bad except they have millions of followers. When you, the thing that's most shocking, I listen to them every once in a while to see just what they're saying. And uh, then I look at, at how many people are following them, and I'm astounded. And so I, I think it is, is good, though we don't want to overdo it, that we refresh our uh, thinking when it comes to the prophetic scriptures and that we remind ourselves what this rapture thing is all about because there's a great deal of confusion about it. And so, if I can get this uh, thing to advance, get my finger on the right button here. First question I want to address with you here this morning is what is the rapture of the church? And notice I didn't call it just the rapture. I called it the rapture of the church, and it's important that you keep that in mind as we look at what the Scripture has to say on this subject. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to First Corinthians, Thessalonians, excuse me, chapter four. I think I need to go back one. There you go. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. That's a euphemism for those who are dead. So that you will not grieve, as do the rest, who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Notice particularly that uh, those two words, in Jesus. They're very important. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead, again, in Christ, very important. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 
And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Okay? Uh, What is the rapture of the church? Well, the rapture of the church is the name that has come to be associated with the event that's described in the verses we've just read. And that same event is also described in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 57. We won't take the time to read it, but the reference is there if you're interested in reading it for yourself. There are some people that say, I don't believe in the rapture. And the response to that is, then you don't believe this event is going to occur. People may not like the term, the rapture, and the concept of a rapture as a separate event from the second coming of Christ may not fit well into their theological system. But the term itself is a term, and it's really based on the Latin translation of this passage, that has come to be associated with this event. So if you believe your Bible, if you believe that what we just read is going to happen at some point, you believe in the rapture. Now the question is, when will it happen? And that will be our second point. But we want to start by talking about what the rapture is. The rapture is the event that Paul is describing here. When the dead in Christ will rise, when the Lord will appear in the sky, there will be the shout of God, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God. The dead in Christ will rise. And we who are alive, if we're fortunate enough to be alive at that time, will be changed in a moment. That's talked about more in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There we're told we'll be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and then be caught up into uh, the heavens uh, to be reunited with those dead in Christ who have risen and with the Lord, and we will forever be with the Lord. So when we talk about the rapture, we're talking about this event. It's not Armageddon. It's not the end of the world. It is the catching up of those in Christ. Now, A lot of people will say, well, this is not in the teaching of Jesus, and they are right. This is not something you will learn about in the Gospels. The rapture is part of the mystery of the church, which was revealed to the Apostle Paul. And so that mystery was not understood even by the apostles. It wasn't made known to them in uh, uh, the teaching ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why there was such a hubbub when Gentiles started getting saved. And so Paul in Ephesians says that to him was revealed the mystery of the church, that God is bringing Gentiles and Jews together in one body. Uh, The apostles had some problem accepting this. And there was a big controversy over this that you read about in the 15th chapter of the the book of Acts. What are we going to do? All these Gentiles are coming to faith, largely through the preaching and teaching of Paul and Barnabas. Uh, Where do they fit? 
Are they going to need to become Jews in order to become full-fledged Christians? Are the men going to need to be circumcised? Are they going to need to be taught the law? Uh, The apostles didn't have answers to those questions because the mystery of the church had not been revealed to them or taught to them by our Lord Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. The mystery of the church is something that was made known to Paul. And then the other apostles came to realize what was happening, and they embraced it too. So when someone says you can't find it anywhere in the Gospels, we read of a resurrection when Jesus returns, but we don't read of another resurrection of any kind before that. Uh, they are correct. You don't. And this is why we need not just the Gospels, but the Epistles, the rest of the New Testament. And another unhealthy trend in our times is to, to depreciate that which was revealed to Paul and to say we want a Christianity and an eschatology that is informed only by the teaching of Jesus Christ. And uh, if that's all we needed, then God would not have inspired the apostles to write anything other than the Gospels. And revelation from God to the Apostle Paul is just as much red-letter stuff as the words of Jesus in the Gospels. Paul would write to the Corinthians, says, if you think that you have the Holy Spirit, Anyone who thinks that's true, let him acknowledge that the things I am writing are the commands of God. And Peter, in his last letter, Second uh, Peter, would refer to Paul's writing specifically as Scripture. And so the rapture of the church is something that is not a gospel teaching in the sense that it's not in the Gospels. But it is certainly a gospel teaching in the sense that the gospel is contained not just in the gospels, but in the entire New Testament. With me so far? Uh, There is one possible allusion to the gospels, or to the rapture, rather. Uh, It is not something that is clear, but very much an allusion. You don't have to turn it there, if you don't want to, I have it here, though you're welcome to do so. And again, I have some key words that I want you to notice emphasized here. There will be signs in the sun and the stars, and on the earth, dismay among the nations, and perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and expectation of things which are coming upon the world, for the power of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming with the cloud, in the clouds with power and great glory. That is clearly the second coming, right? Uh, but when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads... I should have done that, your too. For your redemption is drawing near. 
You notice a little distinction being made here by Jesus between the men on the earth who are seeing end-time events come upon the earth and they're frightened and uh, their hearts are fainting because of their expectation of things that are coming upon the earth. But he's making a distinction between them and the believer. We, on the other hand, should not uh, look at the things that are coming upon the earth, uh, these things that are impending, these fears of things that are about to happen. We should not respond to these things the same way as those upon the earth. They will be frightened as they see end-time events begin to unfold before their eyes. But we are told that when we see these things begin to take place, we should lift our heads, straighten up, lift our heads, because our redemption is drawing near. Now, this is not an explicit reference uh, to the event Paul is describing in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, but it's a possible allusion to that uh, that I believe the apostles could have only understood in light of later revealed truth. But other than that, I look in the Gospels and I cannot find any verse of Scripture that would refer to the event Paul is describing. I read the descriptions of the second coming, and they don't sound like this event. Uh, and I, I'm not going to take the time to go through it this morning, but you could actually put a column. Uh, the things that are said about the second coming of Christ, and this event is described by Paul in Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians. And you would say that there is similarities, but there are more differences than similarities, which is one of the reasons why we might suspect that we're talking about uh, separate events. Okay. The big controversy about the rapture is our insistence that it is an event that is prior to and different from the resurrection that the Bible says will happen when Jesus comes to earth after the battle of Armageddon. That resurrection, he will be on earth. This one? He's in the heavens, and we go up to meet him. That's one of the differences. But it's very controversial in some circles to say that the rapture is separate from that event. But we have good reason to believe that that is going to be the case. And I pointed out as we were reading the text the reasons. We read, in Jesus and in Christ... Bible scholars among you, when you read in the writings of Paul the little phrase, in Christ, are you aware of the fact that that is significant? How many of you are aware of that? Raise your hands. Okay. This is Paul's reference to the body of Christ, which is clearly identified in the Scripture as the church. And do you know how a person becomes a part of the body of Christ? This is maybe interactive. How did you become a part of the body of Christ? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
verse 13 says, By one Spirit we have all been baptized into one body, whether Jew or Gentile, uh, male or female, it doesn't say male or female there. We've all been bought, baptized into one spirit, by one spirit into the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. The way we are placed into the body of Christ is through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this was not an Old Testament experience. As a matter of fact, the last and the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, John the Baptist, in his preaching ministry, you remember this, says, one is coming after me. I'm not fit to unlatch his sandal, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so John is saying, I can't do it. In other places, he says, I baptize with water, but one is coming after me who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And that was not an Old Testament Experience. The church did not exist in the Old Testament because the body of Christ did not exist. Only through baptism of the Holy Spirit can a person become a part of the body of Christ. And that didn't happen until the day of Pentecost. This is something the Bible specifically says. The church, then, is that body of believers who have come to saving faith uh, since the day of Pentecost. It's a different group of believers than Old Testament believers who will be raised when Jesus returns to earth. They will be raised at the beginning of his millennial kingdom. But what we have described very clearly in this passage is a catching up and a resurrection of the body of Christ. This is a resurrection of those who have died in Christ. And Paul twice says this in our passage. Uh, This is the church. This is Paul's favorite expression in all of his writings for the church. In Ephesians chapter 1, he specifically says... The church is the body of Christ. The baptism of the Holy Spirit happened on the day of uh, of Pentecost, and that was the beginning of the church. So we call this the rapture of the church. We could just as well call it, if you want to be completely scriptural in the way we refer to things, the catching up or the gathering of the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, in 2 Thessalonians, Paul refers to this event, and he calls it our gathering. And so, if you want to use a more scriptural term than the rapture, you might refer to it as Paul referred to it, our gathering. And when he's referring to our, he is talking, as he is clearly here in this passage, of the body of Christ. This is the gathering of the body of Christ to the Lord. At a day, uh, yet future. I say that because it hasn't happened yet, right? Okay, you kind of see the idea why we would think it's a separate event from the second coming? Well, the big question then 
The one that people always want to know the answer to is when is it going to happen? Well, we're going to have to look into the next chapter of 1 Thessalonians for that information. Because I think Paul anticipates, after saying this, comfort one another with these words, he anticipates that someone is going to say, and when is this going to happen? I think he thinks that because that's what he talks about next. So uh, let's look at what he says. Now as as to the times and epochs, there you go. When is it going to happen? Uh, You have, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Now there's something from the teaching of Jesus, and he links the rapture to that. Uh, While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. Now I want you to notice, if we pause here again, the pronouns. Look again. Uh, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while they are saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, ah, again we see Paul, as he did in the first chapter, making a distinction between they and us. Uh, them and the body of Christ, believers. Uh, But you, brethren, are not in the darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since you are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for the obtaining of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, So that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Okay, you notice again the contrast. Us, them. There is a day coming upon the world. Uh, They will be surprised by it. This day will come upon them like a thief in the night. And if you go to the prophetic teaching of Jesus, you find he's referring here to an event we call the Great Tribulation. Actually, Jesus called it that. That day is going to come suddenly upon the world, and they're not going to be expecting it. It's going to come upon them like labor pains. And uh, you women here who have had babies understand how that might be. You're late in your pregnancy, and you wake up, one morning and you get up and you get dressed and all of a sudden something is happening. And you realize this baby is on the way. And it's kind of too late at that point in time. It's coming. 
And Jesus said, someday, a terrible time of tribulation is going to come upon this world the same way. But he says several times that we have a different destiny. We have been appointed not for wrath. This wrath that is coming upon the earth is not for us because we have been destined for salvation. Now, there's a problem here with the word salvation. Context tells us how we should understand it. When we read salvation, we think automatically of the salvation from sin that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ. But the word itself just means deliverance. And in certain contexts, it is obviously talking about deliverance from our sins, uh, deliverance from the penalty of our sins, deliverance from the power of our sins. Uh, But in this context, deliverance is talking clearly about this time that is coming upon the earth. The world is destined for wrath, but we, in contrast, have been destined for deliverance which is just what he's been talking about. And he says, encourage one another with these words. So terrible wrath is someday going to come upon the world. Uh, But not us. We have not been destined for that wrath. Rather, we have been destined for salvation. In the context, that is referring to that wrath. We will be saved from that wrath. How so? What's he talking about? The time when this event he's described in chapter 4 is going to happen. And he introduces it as to the times and seasons. When's it going to happen? He links it to that great tribulation period. There's going to come this terrible wrath upon the world, but it will not. It's not for you. We will be saved. And if you just read the word deliverance, uh, you kind of get the idea. God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining deliverance through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we shall live together with him. He's defining the deliverance there. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. Uh, When will the rapture, the event we've been discussing, when will it happen? Well, I think I have some PowerPoints. I've talked about some of it. It's linked to that day of the Lord. The great tribulation which will come upon the earth just prior to the second coming of Christ. So around that time, as Luke said, when you see these things begin to come to pass... Straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. And it's linked specifically to the time just before the storm hits uh, when they will be saying peace and safety. Now, this would be one of the main reasons I'd say no. Matt asked me when I said I was going to preach on this. He says, are you going to say it's coming on the 23rd? I says, probably not. And he says, what a disappointment. And uh, yeah, it kind of is. But it seems from this 
that the reason it's going to take the world by surprise is because they think they've got the problem solved. The world will be saying peace and safety. Is that what the world is saying right now? Uh, kind of not. Uh, doesn't sound like the right time to me. Because there, we're living in a time when there's a lot of talk of war, rumors of wars, that sort of thing. Jesus says when you hear that, that's not the end. Uh, peace and safety. And if you know some other prophetic scripture, you know that when the Antichrist appears upon the stage of history, he's not going to appear upon the stage of history as the second coming of Hitler. He's going to appear upon the stage of history as a great peacemaker. If you know your prophetic scriptures well, he will be part and parcel to the final Resolution of what seems to be the unsolvable problem in the Middle East. And so the world will be saying peace and safety, and suddenly they're going to be scared out of their minds. Uh, my brother in law, or my brother in law, my son in law, who is a, a very optimistic guy, one of the most optimistic guys I've ever been around. And we had quite an interesting discussion the other day. Uh, he was picking up on something that President Obama often argued, that this is the best time ever to be alive. No matter what race you are, no matter what sex you are, if you could be born in any other his- period in history, any period of history, this is the best period of history to be born into. Very similar to peace and safety, right? And my response to him is, well, that depends on what happens next. Because the world has had golden ages before, and then everything fell apart. Uh, 1900 was one of those times. Uh, Time Life books refer to that era, that 10-year period or 14-year period before the beginning of the First World War when everything fell apart as the cocksure era. Because the churches at that time, except for churches that believed in prophetic scripture, were thinking that the kingdom of God was imminent. That's what they were preaching. And uh, then everything fell apart. And that's kind of what we have pictured here. And it gives us a clue, at least, as to when we should be looking. I suppose there's a sense in which we should always be looking. Uh, But it's very specific. Linking the event to the Great Tribulation... The beginning of it, the suddenness of the tribulation coming unexpectedly upon the world. And in direct answer, as to the times and epics, you have no reason for me to write because you know in context that it will come when the world is saying peace and safety and then sudden destruction. We're not to be terrified. What are we to be doing? Well, we're to be living for Christ. Any prophetic message that doesn't have that as the point is missing the mark. Uh, Because we have this tremendous hope, we can live in the midst of a hopeless world with hope. And we can live for Christ, confident, 
that whether we are awake at his coming or if we have fallen asleep, that euphemism for death, nevertheless, we will be participants in this event. Because this is a resurrection, something that was not revealed before, of the body of Christ. This is a resurrection and a rapture or a gathering of the church. Paul refers to it as a gathering. I actually like that that term better because it is scriptural. Our gathering to him apparently is going to happen before all hell breaks loose on earth. And so as Paul says after describing this in uh, great detail in 1 uh, Corinthians, therefore be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in Christ, there's that in Christ again, is not in vain. Uh, we are specifically promised that we in Christ, including the dead, will escape that time of wrath. Now, it may be that there's someone here this morning that if that event were to, these events were to begin to unfold, you would not be ready. And these days would overtake you like a thief because you have not availed yourself of the, the salvation, the deliverance from sin that is only available through the sacrificial death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the way you need to get ready for what is going to come upon the earth, perhaps very soon, uh, sooner certainly than when Paul wrote this, you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord today. Otherwise, this day will come upon you like a thief in the night. If you are here and you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, what I would suggest is don't go on YouTube and start following all these goofy these goofy prophetic speakers. You know what you need to know. Now, live your life to the glory of Jesus Christ. Today, tomorrow, the next day. You know, every day we have that choice. Who am I going to live for today? Am I going to live for myself? Am I going to live for Christ? And he talks about the armor of Christ and putting it on. And the idea is uh, the time and the seasons will come. Until they do, you, in Christ, be living to his honor and to to his glory. And that is the biblical teaching on the rapture of the church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us these promises. Uh, after we read about the rapture itself, you said we are to encourage one another with these words and uh, comfort one another, rather, with these words. And then when we read about uh, the fact that we will not experience the coming wrath, we're told to encourage one another and build up one another. And we would ask that we would be faithful in doing that. Uh, as Paul said to the Corinthians, that we would be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because we know that our labor in Christ is not in vain. And we ask and pray this in his name. Amen.